0: All right. Um, so all this month, uh, Paul has been walking us through the, the letter to the Thessalonians. And what he's really been doing is, is looking at this as a case study, right? This is a church that Paul planted in about five weeks. And then over time, though, in, in that, just those f- five short weeks, the gospel so impacted this church that it became really this, this church that grew a reputation for being all about the gospel, for caring for the poor, for being generous, And so Paul's been kind of walking us through this going, okay, how is it that a church that in only five short weeks can make such an impact in its world? And the pattern that we've seen over and over again has been that the gospel, this message that Jesus Christ, the king... Right, who died for us and then is coming back, that that message of the gospel, as it goes into the lives of individuals, as it impacts and engages us, it then creates change in our lives that overflows into our families, into our friends, into our communities, our job, and so on. Right? And so the whole concept here is that this gospel, then, it always results in change. The gospel comes into your life, and it doesn't just stay there. It actually begins to change you, and then it begins to overflow into the people around you. See, the gospel always, always results in change. The gospel always necessitates life change. The gospel is not something where it's like, you know, I prayed this prayer once upon a time, and I believed, and then God's done with me. Right? That's all there is to it. No, see, the gospel, as we believe it, as we live it out, it actually begins to change our lives. And it's not always sudden. It's not always dramatic. Maybe some of you have sudden stories where you were this way, and then the next day after you, you receive grace, you receive forgiveness for sins, you are completely different. But for most of us, it's a gradual, over time, changing, developing, shaping, molding. In fact, Jesus talks about it as a, a plant that comes up through the soil, right? You, you don't look at a plant and go, oh, look at it grow. <laughs> no, you leave and you come back, and you're like, oh, man, it's grown. Right? See, that change can be imperceptible at times, and yet it is inevitable. See, the gospel, if we really believe it, if it's really impacted and engaged our hearts, it will result in change. And some of you may say, hey, you know what? I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't see a whole lot of change in my life. Okay, here's a couple of ideas for you just to kind of wrestle with, grapple with, okay? Either you've never really received the gospel. You've never really placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's that's one option. Or it may be that actually God is doing something in your life and you just don't see it yet. It's so gradual, it's so um, slow, and yet it's inevitable. God is changing you, he's molding you, and it may be years later that you look back and go, okay, I see how God was doing this in my life. The very last option that we're not going to get into this morning, I'm just going to throw this out there just to bug you, is that if uh, if, if you have truly received the gospel and now you are fighting God and you are refusing to change, God may take you out, all right? God literally, he is actually says that. Paul talks about that in one of his other letters, that if you are a believer and you are refusing to acknowledge him, you are f- refusing to bring your life into alignment with his reign and authority, then God may take you out. That's just to mess with you, okay? You're going to be worried about that all week now. You can email me. It's okay, all right? But that's not what we're talking about this morning, okay? So here's the deal. The gospel always necessitates change. It always brings change in our life. Why? Why? Why does God care about that? I mean, God was just going to save us, right? That's all he was about. He's just going to rescue us. He's going to pull us out of the pit. Why does he care to then change us and make us different? Now, listen to me, because this is so key, and this is what the rest of this time is going to hinge on. The reason that God wants to change us, the reason why his gospel always results in life change, is because God loves us too much to leave us the way that he finds us. Did you catch that? God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. Okay, so Tuesday night, I'm, uh, I'm going home, and I get this text from Carrie, and it's like, uh, I think Jude might be sick. Jude is my little one. He's, uh, he's about Yetal, Maybe not, Yeetal. tall. And uh, he's going to be two in April, all right? So I'm like, oh, man, that's terrible. You know, and I open the door when I get home, and Gabriel's standing there, and Gabriel's great. He's like, hey, life is good. And I look over, and I see Carrie, and she has this look of horror on her face and i'm like oh my gosh what's happened you know and then i look at her and i realize she is covered in vomit it's nasty aren't you glad you came see it's nasty and she's like jude's in the bathroom and i'm like he's in the bathroom wait you're not in the bathroom he's just in the bathroom you have to know my son jude okay he does not sit still the idea of him being in the bathroom means he's in the bathroom where i thought he was and now he's gone but she's like no he's in the bathroom i was like okay so i go into the bathroom and there he is Oh my gosh, it's so pathetic. He's sitting there. He just looks just wiped out, you know, in this little pool of puke. And I'm like, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy, you know. Now, I could have said, Man, I love you so much. I love you so much. You know what? I love you just the way that you are. You just you're good, buddy, you know? No, of course not. I'm like, buddy, oh, I love you. Come here, come here. And I get him and I pick him up and I'm like, oh, I can't believe this is so gross. And then I'm running him upstairs and I'm, I'm putting him in the bathtub, right? I'm cleaning him up, right? Why? Because I love him too much to leave him that way. See, God is not, he, he finds us. And let's face it, we are in our sin and we are broken and we are messy and we're nasty. And we're all sitting in our little pools of puke. And God says, I love you too much to leave you that way. I'm not gonna do that. See, parents, we get this, right? If you have parents, you guys who are not parents yet, you have parents, though, and, and you, this is a little insight, okay? See, the reason that we train our kids, the reason that we discipline them isn't because we don't like them. It's because we love them too much to leave them the way that they are, right? Mike's son is two, right? Or he's going to be two in April. If he didn't grow physically, if this was as big as he got, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? Yes, that would be a problem, right? There'd be something wrong. We'd call the doctor, right? So it's my job as a parent to help train him, not just to grow physically. I can't do anything about that, but I'm going to grow him in maturity, right? And that's why we train. That's why we discipline. That's why we get onto them. Now, granted, with my, my little one, this is a little bit tricky. Um, he's at that stage where he's adorable. And so every time he starts to, to give me trouble, um, this is the face that I get. Very difficult to train right now, all right? He's starting to become not quite so cute, so it's getting easier. In fact, right now, I could say anything that I wanted, and you wouldn't hear it. He's just adorable, right? But see, if I love, see, I'm going to get rid of it, so you'll listen to me. But see, this is what we have to do as parents. We have to train our kids in maturity, and God is the same way with us. He's like, I'm finding you, and now I'm going to make you holy, okay? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to begin this work in you. But let's be clear, you start out as spiritual infants, You are babies, and now I'm going to grow you, and I'm going to bring you into spiritual maturity. See, God loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. Now, what we try to do, though, is we try to skew that. We try to say, no, 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 God, see, I'm good like this, and if you really loved me, you'd accept me no matter what. God, you love me enough, it doesn't matter what I do. Do you see the difference? See, our problem isn't that God loves us too little. Our problem is that God loves us too much to leave us this way when, in fact, we'd prefer he left us alone. See, what we want is God on our terms. We, we want a God who knows his place. We don't want to be able to say, God, you know what? I appreciate you saving me from hell and all that. That's fantastic. But you know what? I got it from here. And so what we do is we take out and we put him in this little box. We compartmentalize and we say, God, this is your space. This is where the parts of my life that you get to speak to. But then I've got these parts over here. This is off limits for you. Okay? You stay over there. I'm going to deal with this stuff over here. So God, you get Sunday mornings and you get a little bit of my money and maybe a small group or something like that. But God, over here, all right, I'm going to keep my marriage and my job and my private life and everything else. This stuff is mine. All right? God, you're going to stay over here, and that's as far as you can come. These things are off limits. But here's the problem, guys. When we compartmentalize God like that, when we hold him in this box, when we refuse to let him have access to the rest of our lives, then we are never, never going to experience the kind of life that he wants us to have. Let me put it a little bit differently. If we stifle him, if we stunt our own growth like that, then, one, we're never going to have the kind of lives that we want to have, really. And we are going to limit, drastically limit, how God can use us in the world. We're not going to have the lives that we want to have, and He's not going to be able to use us the way that He wants to use us. You see, this is Paul's warning to the church at Thessalonica. He says, it's great, you believed, you've responded to the gospel, but if you compartmentalize God, if you put him in this box and you don't let him have access to the rest of your lives, then this is as far as you're going to go. You're not going to experience real fullness of life. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's read together. This is what Paul has to say to the Thessalonians, all right? This is chapter 4. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. He says, look, I've already told you what to do. He's already told them how they should live and how they should please God. Not please themselves, not please other people, but how they should please God. So he says, look, I've already told you what to do, so there's no excuses. You don't get to just sit back and say, hey, you know what? I believed, I prayed a prayer, and now I'm good. I'm just going to hang out. God should love me just the way that I am. Leave me alone, God. He says, no. No, God has a will for you. He has a plan for you, and you don't get to argue with that. God's will for you is that you would be sanctified, so don't argue with God. He's God. You catch the logic there? Don't argue with God. He has a will for you. He's God. You don't argue with God. Just, we're all clear on that, right? See, that's what he's going to come back to repeatedly in this passage. He's going to say, you need to live consistently with what you say you believe. You say that this is God. You say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then you need to bring your life into alignment with what you say you believe, okay? So this is God's will for our life: sanctification. Now, sanctification is, is uh, on one hand, is one word that pastors and theologians like to throw around so you know that we know stuff. Uh, but it's also a really, really important thing. It's really important. So let me give you a a quick definition. Sanctification is God making us holy. Sanctification is the process where God changes us and makes us to be more like him, okay? He makes us holy. That's what it means to be sanctified. Now, to really grasp this, I want to put it in the context of justification. Because what happens is when we talk about being saved... Like, who's here is saved? and Oh, I'm saved. We're talking about justification, okay? So real quick, theology lesson. You guys can hang with me, I promise. Nothing to be scared of here, all right? I, I'm not that smart. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so justification is this declaration or pronouncement where God says to a sinful person, I'm going to declare you righteous, not on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of who Jesus is, Okay? So God is going to say, you are righteous. I'm going to declare you to be righteous. I'm going to approve of you, not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is, his righteousness. Okay? So imagine it this way. Um, I decide to go down into Philly, and I'm going to go to the hippest, hottest, most A-list exclusive nightclub. All right, I have no idea where that would be, but maybe you do. All right? So that's where I'm going to go. And so I go down there, and there's like the queue line, you know, and I show up, and there's a bouncer, and I'm like, hey, let me in. And he looks at me, and he goes, um, look, let's face it, there's no way I'm getting in that club. All right? I'm a 35-year-old bald dude. All right, No way. It's not happening. I'm not getting in that club. Okay? Here's, the, here's the catch, though. I show up with Bono. Huh? See, at that point, they're like, oh, okay, hold on. Wait a minute, okay, you can come in. Why? Because I'm cool. No, I'm not cool. I'm with Bono. Man, they're letting Bono in there for sure, and I'm with him. Okay? I'm I'm with this guy. That's how this works. See, I'm not gonna get into heaven on my own, right? I'm not showing up and being like, hey, look at me, God, look how great I am. I'm fantastic. No. No, what I do is I show up with Jesus. And I go, look at his credentials, look at this guy. I'm with him. I'm associating myself with him. And so, what this means is this happens by grace through faith because God's, by God's grace, I believe, I trust, I lean into, I hold on to Jesus, and I go, I'm with this guy. And God says, You bet, come on. Not because of me, because I'm with him. All right, so that's justification. Whoop, I didn't do that. Okay, so sanctification. All right, sanctification keeping the club analogy, right? That's when I show up with Bono. They let me into the club and then they go, you are lame. You are not cool. we got to help you. And so then they take you off and then they, you know, they give me new clothes and shades and I look cool after that, right? That's a bad analogy, all right? But just work with me here, all right? So that's what God does. He sees me with Jesus. He says, I love you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you trusted in my son, but I'm not going to leave you like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you look like Jesus because he's in. He's in, he's perfect, he's beautiful, he's cool, he's awesome. You need to be more like him, and so God begins to do that work in us. Now, please note, please note, this is not something that we do. We don't do this for ourselves. See, the problem, the the fundamental problem is not how we're dressed, it's not how we're acting, all that kind of stuff. All that stuff takes care of itself. The real issue, the real heart of the issue is the heart. Our hearts are broken, they're messed up. And so God declares me righteous, but then his Holy Spirit moves in and begins to change my heart. But here's the deal. I can't change my heart. Broken people can't heal themselves. We can't heal our own hearts. So this is something that God has to do for us. That's why if you notice both of these, these are both what God does. We don't save ourselves and we don't change ourselves. God is the one who does it by grace and through faith. And he does this because he loves us. And he's going to make us holy because he loves us too much to leave us the way that he finds us, all right? The question then that we've got to wrestle with here, okay? Here's the question. Do we want to be holy? See, it's all great. Okay, God wants to make me holy. That's nice. But do we want to be holy? See, we can absolutely... Cut off God at the pass. This is is a little bit tricky here, okay? Just work with me. Um, This is something that God does in us. But God isn't forcing it on us. And so if we want to, we can cut God off at the pass and we can say, you know what? I don't really want to do this. I'm not going to align myself with your will. I'm going to rebel against you. In fact, later on in this very letter, Paul is going to say, don't quench the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says, don't stop God from doing the work that he's trying to do in your life. He loves you too much to leave you that way. Let him change you. That's Paul's message to us. He says, you've got to let God do this. God wants to move in. He wants to change you. You've got to let him do that. Don't stop him. Don't stifle him. All right? Because here's the deal. We all love the idea of being saved, don't we? We all love the idea of being rescued and pulled out of that pit. Who here wants to go to hell? No one. No one. But what we're not as excited about is the idea of being holy. Holy. And the reason for that is because we have this misconception of what holiness is. The way we think of holiness, it sounds like something only a priest and nobody else could enjoy. Right? We think that holiness is something that where we have to check out of the world. Where we have to quit living life, we have to eat bland food, and we have to watch Touched by an Angel reruns. Okay? That's, that's what we think of holiness. And we're like, oh man, that sounds lame. I don't want holiness. Give me anything but that. Right? That's the way we think of it. Okay? But listen, guys. That's not holiness. Holiness, what did we say? Sanctification, this process of becoming more like holy, means that we become more like God. You think being God is lame? Now, I'm not talking about divinity here. I'm talking about the kind of person, the kind of character that God has. God is not lame. Read your Bible. Okay, every time he turns around, you know what God's doing? He's throwing a party all the time. Can't stop that guy. He is a party maniac. Somebody sins, repents, Party end of time party all the time look at the world around us look at all the good things that God has given to us all the things that we are meant to enjoy all the good gifts i was in dallas two uh, two weekends ago eating some of the best sushi that god ever put on this earth it was amazing See, God gives us all kinds of good things, and he wants to enjoy them. Now, here's what holiness is. Holiness means living the kind of life, enjoying the kind of life, enjoying all of God's good gifts in such a way without sin. It means enjoying all of God's gifts without perverting them and making them into something that's going to destroy me and destroy other people. You follow me? God wants us to live amazing lives. Look, Jesus did not come so that our lives would be miserable and joyless and eat bland food, okay? That's not what happened. What does he say? Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He wants us to have lives that are packed with meaning and purpose and satisfaction. That is not lame. Holiness is not lame. Holiness is awesome. It means enjoying life the way that it was meant to be enjoyed, living life the way it was meant to be enjoyed. Holiness is awesome but it doesn't mean that it's easy. Holiness isn't easy. In fact, it's uncomfortable. It goes against all of our instincts. See, what we do is we want to put God in this box. Remember God in the box over here? But for holiness, it means we've got to let him out. We've got to bust him out of there. And we've got to say, okay, come in, speak to these areas of my life that frankly, I don't feel comfortable with. That my natural instinct is to run away and to hide from God. Instead, I've got to allow him to speak into those areas. That means I have to go into his word and say, okay, what does God say about this? And I begin to align my life. I begin to take steps to live out what he has taught us to live. And as I do that, God moves into my heart and he begins to change me from the inside out. See, it's not easy. It's scary. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But if we are going to experience the kind of lives that God wants us to have, then we have got to bust him out of that box and let him move in. To these areas of our lives. And the first area of our life that he wants to take on in this passage, it's not our money, it's not our job, it's not the friends that we have, it's not the movies that we watch, it's none of that stuff. You know where he heads straight to? He's heading straight for our bedrooms. He wants to talk about who we're sleeping with, he wants to talk about sex. Some of you are like, man, I picked the right Sunday morning. Some of you are like, man, I ripped it the wrong Sunday morning. I understand. Paul left this to me, you know. Um, On Tuesday, he's like, do you think I could go to this funeral? Could you fill in? And I was like, yeah, what are you preaching on? He's like, first lesson before I got to run. You know, that was it. I'll get him back, all right? So here's the deal. This is what's going to happen. All right, we're going to read this next passage, and this is what God has to say. He says, look, take me out of this box, and you're going to take me into the most private part of your life that you can imagine. That area of your life that you don't want to talk about, you want to think about, you want to share with anybody else, I want in. I want to talk about it. All right, so that's what we're going to look at. All right, so here we go. Next passage. This is picking up where we left off. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Next thing he says Who gives his Holy Spirit to you? All right, so who's Paul talking to, right? Remember, he's talking to the Thessalonians. And Thessalonica at that time was a society that was saturated in sexual impurity. Sexual immorality was rampant. It was not just accepted, it wasn't just sort of like, oh, yeah, some people are doing stuff and we don't talk about it. No, it wasn't just accepted, it wasn't just not talked about. It It was actually encouraged, it was proclaimed, it was celebrated. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Yes, not unlike our own society today. Their whole view was look, if it's something that you enjoy, if it's gonna make you happy, then you should go for it. And nothing, nothing should be off limits. And so it wasn't something that they just sort of let slide. Man, it was something that was everywhere and they were encouraging it. It's very similar to the society that we live in today. As long as it makes you happy, as long as it makes you feel good, then you should do it. You should go for it. Don't let anything hold you back and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Now, the only problem with this, of course, that nobody seems to catch on to very quickly, or maybe we know it and we just don't want to believe it, is that that momentary good... That makes you feel good, right? That momentary pleasure, that, that momentary happiness, it is so fleeting. And the way that we know this is because we just need more and more and more and more, don't we? I mean, look in our society. If there's any evidence that this whole idea that we just get more and more sex and that's going to make us happy isn't working, just look at, or look around. Our appetite is insatiable, and we just need more and more and more exciting, more tantalizing and more experimental. Whatever it is, you're going to do it. You're going to try to keep stuffing it down more and more and more because somehow one of these times it's going to take and one time I'm going to be satisfied and then it's going to be good. Guys, we realize that this is not working, right? Everybody's clear on that? This is not working. We live in a culture that is saturated with sexual immorality. Sex everywhere, sells everything and yet we are not one step closer to real satisfaction. See, the problem here is not that we need more sex. That is not the answer. We don't need more freedom. We don't need more uh, license. We don't need more experimentation. We don't need any of that stuff. What we need is control. We need control. Because the whole more sex thing is not cutting it. All right? But that doesn't seem to matter to us. What matters to us more than that what really gets us is that we don't want anyone, not me, not you, not your friends, not your family, nobody, not even God, to interfere with the way that we want to live our lives. See, what we've done is we've, we've so idolized and worshiped sex that now we've actually made it off limits because it's private. This is the private thing that I do, and no one gets to tell me how to live in this private moment of my life, in this private area. This is mine. You don't criticize it. You don't critique it. You don't get to talk about it. This is private, and the only problem here is that God says, I want in, and remember who God is? Oh, yeah, he's God. He's your creator, and he loves you too much to leave you like that. God doesn't want you to stay like that. So here's the deal. What does he say? We need to control. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. See, listen, I'm going to be really direct, okay? I'm going to be really blunt with you, okay? Some of you, and I'm just looking out there. I'm not looking at anybody in particular because I don't know most of you, okay? But I'm just telling you, chances are, all right, some of you are fooling around with sex in ways that you shouldn't, and that is not controlling your bodies in holiness and honor. Some of you are sleeping around with a boyfriend or girlfriend, fooling around with them. That is not controlling yourselves in holiness and honor. God is not pleased. Some of you men, some of you women even are wrapped up in pornography and that is not controlling yourselves in ways that is pleasing and honor to God. Some of you are experimenting in homosexuality. You're engaging in that. That is not controlling yourselves. Some of you are sleeping with people or cheating on your spouse with someone other than your spouse, whether it's sexual or emotional, whatever's filling up that love tank, right? And God is not pleased. That is not controlling yourselves in holiness and honor. And he says, you're going to answer to him. Not answer to me. Heavens, no. Not answer to anybody at at GVF. No, no, no. This is what it says. You're going to answer... To Jesus. Did you catch that? It says the Lord is an avenger in all these things. That sounds serious to me. See, we don't like that. <laughs> Man, we don't like that. We hate that. We hate that. See, the reason is because we've bought into this, this lie that there was a victimless sin, right? See, as long as it's private, as long as it's something I'm doing over here, then nobody else is hurt. That's what we believe. What I do on my computer alone, in my own bedroom, in my own hotel room, or in the back of the car with whoever, whatever's going on here, that's private. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Can I tell you something right now? Victimless sin is a lie from Satan, It's a myth. It doesn't exist. It's like a unicorn, all right? It sounds pretty and we like to have as a pet. It doesn't exist, all right? Victimless sin, unicorn, doesn't exist. It's a weird analogy, I know. You guys, just making sure you guys are awake, all right? You guys catch that, all right? Doesn't exist. Victimless sin doesn't exist. So here's the deal. If you are fooling around with a boyfriend or girlfriend or somebody you just casually know, right? This is harmful for you and for them, For whatever future relationship you hope to have, that is going to damage it. It will destroy it, I promise you. You will answer to God for this, okay? If you are messing around with pornography and you think, man, that's not going to affect my spouse or my kids or my job, guess again, it is harmful for you. Anything that you are doing outside of a Christian marriage between a man and a woman, that is is the place for sex. Anything outside of that, I promise you, it is harmful. It will destroy you and other people. And God says you're going to answer to him for that. See, and we hate this idea. We hate this idea because it is private and it is none of God's business. How dare he stick his nose in and interfere with the way that I want to live my life. But here's the thing, guys. God is not... Somebody on Facebook asking for access to your photo stream. Okay? He is God. He is the creator. And he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he loves you too much to destroy yourself or somebody else. Because you can't control your libido. That's the truth. Now, I have to have a little caveat here because this is so crucial. Because here's what's going to happen um, somebody in here is going to leave and say, Well, there goes that church again, you know, talking about how God hates sex and um, they, God just wants to get rid of all of our fun. And uh, listen, listen, that's not what I'm saying, all right? So please, please, please hear me. What did we say earlier? God is not lame. God has given us good and great things, and sex is a gift from God. I am not opposed to sex, okay? I am married with two children. Believe me, not opposed, all right? God is not opposed. This is something that God has given to us, but listen to me. It is dangerous if it is used outside of the proper context. It should come with a warning label. Improper use will result in harm to you and others, okay? That's the truth. And what God wants is for you to enjoy the freedom and the greatness and the, the joy of sex in its proper context between a man and a woman. And that's the place that he's designed it to be. But anything outside of that, man, it is death. It is destruction. And Satan tries to pull us in and say, it's just private. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's not going to touch anybody else. And it's not true. It's not true. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And so we have got to, we've got to break these patterns of sexual sin that are so rampant in our lives because God wants us to have something better. Now, how do, how do we do that, all right? Because we're going to end, okay? Go back to verse 8 here, very last one. It says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Did you catch that? Again, we don't argue with God, right? Don't argue with God. He's God, right? Don't reject God. He's God, okay? That's what he's saying again, but notice the irony here. What he says is, don't reject God because God is the very person that you need to have victory in this area of your life. Don't reject God. He's the one who's given you the Holy Spirit to change you. He's the one who's giving you this power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to use in your life. You think that's powerful? He says, that's the power that I want to give to you in your life to begin to have victory in this area. Again, it's not something that we do on our own, right? We don't fix ourselves. I don't fix my own heart. I don't heal myself. That's not going to happen. But we don't reject God. We let God in and God moves in and his Holy Spirit brings power. And it brings change. And there is victory there. See, that's so important, isn't it? Because chances are probably there are people in here right now, you guys have been wrestling with, you have struggled with these patterns of sin in your life and there's been failure time and time again. That's the reality of it. But God doesn't say, hey, go and be pure. Good luck. No, he says, go and be pure and I'm going to be right there with you. Here I come. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to give you this power. I'm going to move into your life if you'll just let me in and I'm going to give you healing. I want to give you real freedom. See, all that other stuff, all that stuff that's like this freedom, you know, all the sex that we're trying to like pack into our lives. Oh, we're so free. No, man, that's bondage. That's bondage. That's enslavement. God wants to give us freedom, freedom to enjoy life the way that it was meant to be enjoyed without using the good things against ourselves and against others. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right, again, if we let God in and God begins this pattern, God begins changing us, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So let me be really honest with you. The reality is that for some of us, this may be a struggle for the rest of our lives. That's a real possibility. Now, for some of us, we may open this area of our lives up and we begin to see God move. And we may eventually have freedom and victory over it and move on. But for some of us, this may be a struggle forever. But here's the thing. To struggle is not sin. It's not bad to struggle. Guys, listen, it's not bad to struggle. Everybody struggles. Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness. There's nothing wrong with struggling. The sin is when we quit struggling and we give in and we give up. So we can't give in, we can't give up. We've got to struggle well. We've got to come to God's word and see what he says we should do, how we should live. And we we take it and we say, look, this is God. I'm not going to argue with God. He's God. And I know that he loves me. He doesn't want to leave me this way. And so I'm going to begin to let him tear down those walls and those calluses around my heart. And say, okay, God, I'm going to give you access to this. I know this is not pleasing to you. Help me. Help me. Give me that power to live differently. And we struggle day in and day out. And we struggle well. But we don't struggle alone. We got to struggle together. See, one of Satan's favorite ways of getting to us, the way he picks us off and eats us up, is he, thinks, he makes us think that we're alone, that we're the only ones dealing with this. So if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, man, I'm the only person in this room and I'm dealing with this. No. If we took a show of hands, believe me, it would be ugly. All right? It'd be ugly. But that's, that's good news in a sense, right? In the sense that we're in this together. Don't struggle by yourself. If you struggle by yourself, I promise God is going to, Satan, excuse me, is going to separate you and he's going to devour you, right? You guys ever see the movie Gladiator? You remember that movie and Russell Crowe? The first time he's in the Colosseum, and what happens? He's with this guy, his, his little band of team, right? They're going to be out there, these little warriors and uh, they don't know what's coming, but the way the whole circus program is designed is that they're going to die, all right? And you remember why? It's because the chariots are going to come in, And so what has happened every year when they do these games, they do the same thing. And when the chariots come in, everybody scatters. And then the chariots pick them off one at a time. But Russell Crowe, he says, hey, guys, I don't care what comes out of those gates. We're going to huddle up. We're going to huddle up. And so the chariots come out. And what do they do? They all get each other's backs. And they back each other up. And what happens? They win. They're victorious. It's the same idea here. If you try to struggle on your own and Satan is separating you and isolating you, he will win. You can't do this on your own, all right? But when we come together and we huddle up and we get each other's backs and we speak God's truth to one another and we're reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and brings us together, there can be victory. Things can change. God can change your life, right? We've got to struggle well, but we've got to struggle together. Not because we do it, okay? I want to make sure I'm very clear here. You are not saving yourself. You cannot change yourself. But you get with someone else and you struggle well and you struggle together. And God changes things in your life. See, God loves us too much to leave us in that pile of puke. He loves us too much for that. And he's not trying to make our lives miserable. He's not trying to take the fun out of life. He's not trying to give us bland food and touch by an angel reruns. No. No, man, he's given us great and wonderful gifts and he wants us to enjoy them and to relish in them, but in a way that's honoring and holy. He wants us to have the kind of life that that people only dream of. So listen, King, don't settle. Don't settle for the kind of life that this world tells us we should enjoy. Don't settle for just trying to stuff our lives with more and more and more. Go after, find, find, God, let him in. Find other people to struggle with and struggle well. Guys, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. Been reminded this week just how messed up this world is. We cannot afford to sit back and say, you know what? I'm just going to live my life this way and I'm going to keep God out. I don't care what he has to say. I'm just going to hang over here. If we're going to enjoy the kind of life that God wants us to have, if we're going to be a light in a, a dark world, a, a world that is consumed and blind, a world that is, is, has a sexual appetite that is insatiable and there's no freedom in that, if we're going to be lights in that darkness, then we have to let God begin this work in us if we're going to be the kind of church that God wants to raise up in Phoenixville in this area where we live the kind of lives that spill over into our friendships and our families and our jobs and we see change, then we cannot, we cannot keep God in a box and compartmentalize him and say, God, thanks but no thanks. I'm going to hang out over here. Guys, we can't do that. We have to let him out. We got to bust him out of there and let him begin to wreak havoc on the sin in our lives. And we do that when we struggle together. And we struggle well. We pray. God, there's chances are there's people in here right now. Men and women who you love. Who are in bondage. And they wrestle with this every day. And sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. But God, you came that we would have freedom. Freedom that we'd be released from enslavement to sin of any kind. It doesn't matter what it is. So God, I pray right now, as, as we're just spending some quiet moments in prayer, Lord, I pray that that we would just take a moment just to reflect on ourselves and look at our own hearts, our own lives, and say, okay, God, where am I? Is this something that I've been, I've been fooling myself on? And I keep thinking, oh, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna get victorious, but the whole time I'm trying to do it on my own. God, we cannot heal ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. God, if there's anyone who's struggling, I pray that right now, right now, God, that they would begin to sense your Holy Spirit, that you love them immeasurably more than we can imagine. You love us so much that you gave us your son. And you don't want to leave us where we are. You don't want to leave us in those little pools of puke the way we find ourselves. We want to stay there. Sometimes it's sick, but we want to stay there. God, drag us out. Pull us out of the mire. Pull us out of the pit. Clean us off. Make us holy so that we can live the kind of lives you want us to live. Not for us, but so that you can use us to reach a world that is dying and broken and lost. God, if there's anyone struggling, and I know there are, I pray that they would feel the freedom to come to pray with someone If they don't feel comfortable with that, I pray that they would seek someone out this week. That they wouldn't give in, they wouldn't give up, but that they would struggle well and they would struggle with someone else. And God, if there's someone here who hasn't got anybody to turn to, I pray that they would find peace and comfort in you and that they would come and talk to one of us at the church, talk to Paul, talk to me. And we begin to take steps. God, this is, uh, this is an epidemic. This is the plague of our generation in some ways. But we know you can bring fe- healing. We know you can bring freedom. We ask for that now.